You're listening to Cinepunk, interactive discussions for film lovers. This episode, Pure Imagination. I'm your host, Robert J. Simpson, and with me in studio today, we have... Rachel Kelly. It's uncouth if you say that you're a doctor yourself. That's the first. That's the only time you'll ever hear Rachel not use her title. Allegedly. And playing with the soundboard and making all kinds of interesting asides is... Ben Simpson. Um, so we're, we're looking at a cult classic, a family favourite. I was going to say, I don't think it's cult classic. I think family favourites more. I, th- I, th- I think it's very definitely culty in places, um, but it is definitely also a family favourite. It is the 1971 film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Just to make it quite clear, we're talking about the Gene Wilder version, not the Johnny Depp-Tim Burton combo from 2006. That abomination doesn't exist. We, we may or may not get onto that one. <laughs> that really just, I think might just only strap me down if we get onto that one. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> She's got her fighting gloves on. Does she ever not have her fighting gloves on? There's no words strong enough to express the loathing that I feel for that film. Oh, okay. Well, that, do you know what? That, that's, that's have you seen? Have you seen the the Tim Burton version? I've seen both. Yes. Um, do you like or not like the, the the Burton version with Johnny Depp's? It's weird, mm. but I think most Tim Burton stuff is weird. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't like it, Rachel? Oh yeah, yeah. No, but, I love it. But is is what <coughs> what is it about it that you don't like in particular? Why is it the memory of the first one or? Um, I suppose the memory of the first one's definitely part of it. Um, there's the fact that what the hell is going on in that film and why is Johnny Depp playing Michael Jackson? <laughs> Johnny Depp does say it wasn't actually Michael Jackson. It never crossed his mind. Uh, he references people like Howard Hughes. Does he? He does. Does he? Okay, uh, yeah. right. Um, well, whatever. <laughs> and uh, Michael uh, Jackson? Yeah, Michael Jackson. Because he's got this weird kind of guy who's living alone with all this stuff and it's just excess and it's his general weirdness. Also incredibly white. I, I dare say it has something to do with it. Um, and, and also, what is the backstory? Why is there a backstory? Who needed the backstory? Who was clamouring for the backstory as to why Willy Wonka opened a chocolate factory? Was it Were there pe- people beating down the doors going, we must know, tell us Tim Burton, why is he opening a chocolate factory? No, that never happened. It was completely unnecessary. I think it was just not an excuse to get Christopher Lee in front of a camera. Normally I'd be all for that, okay? Normally I'd be all for an excuse to get Christopher Lee in front of the camera, but that is an abomination. It should never have happened. Gene Wilder certainly wasn't very complimentary about it, although he never got round to saying it himself. Um, he did suggest somewhat cynically that uh, it may have been just about the money. Um, but also it was quite an iconic role, and someone did ask him um, in relation to the likes of the producers, which also he was very heavily involved in when that got remade, what was the difference? And he just looked at it. He seemed to be okay with the idea that the producers got remade, but not okay with, with Willy Wonka. Well, the producers had its own separate um, life, I mean, the producers went down a completely different route. You know, it went off screen, it went into Broadway. And then what got remade was the Broadway adaptation, mm. uh, which I'm not mad keen on, but it's not horrendous. Um, I, I think it was definitely a stage production rather than a film that just got turned into a film. But then, so, so if we take that argument and we're, we've come about this not in the way I'd originally planned on doing it, but you've got a film with this one, with, with Willy Wonka, with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you have uh, a film that was... You could argue it's a remake, but it's actually a, just another version of a book. 
that pre-existed. Mm-hmm. Also, this is a film that has the Roald Dahl estate's full endorsement rather than the Willy Wonka version, which Roald Dahl himself, whilst he worked on it, um, disowned. Yeah. So it does make well, it a rather complex relationship, surely, with, with in terms of what, is, what isn't acceptable. Um, I mean, Dahl just didn't really seem to like very much of what was being adapted from his books. No. So um, I, who knows what he would have made of this. And the fact is that, you know, the Dahl estate giving it their blessing is not the same thing as, as Roald Dahl himself thinking that it was OK. Um, I, he tended to take exception to liberties being taken with his material and massive liberties were taken with his material in, in um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Not saying they weren't in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but it just feels... So much truer. I mean, Willie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a Tim Burton film. Mm. Willie, uh, Willie Wonka's and the Chocolate Factory is an adaptation of Dahl's book. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Mm, I feel we have another conversation brewing at some point about authorial stances and uh, how you define films. But it is, it's one of the things that we, we've been talking about this. Um, recently we've been doing a series of workshops looking at directors and things as well. And so... And you've heard us talk before about uh, auteurs and sort of their stance as well, but it does create a rather complex relationship. And I'm I often hear people complain about remakes or f- stories that have been done more than once. But doing a story more than once doesn't necessarily mean that you've got a bad film or that you yeah. shouldn't do it. No, absolutely. Um, and I don't I don't have any problem with remakes. Um, mm. Just I don't have a problem with them on principle at all. I think they've, I'm trying to think. There are some remakes that I think are fantastic. Um, I mean, um, was Miracle on 34th Street has been remade how many times? Mm. And each one has its own mm-hmm. something that it, it brings to it. Um, well, I mean, you've talked about Christmas. Um, you know, look at A Christmas Carol. I mean, yeah. how many versions of that do we have? Absolutely. Um, and we're quite happy with a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think uh, the fact that it's a remake is what makes it fundamentally bad. I think the fact that it's fundamentally bad is what makes it fundamentally bad. Hmm. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Do you, uh, what do you say on it? How do you, how do you feel about it, Ben? How, how do I feel? Hmm. Um, well, let's start this in, in, in this sort of way. Is this a film you have any affection for at all? Um, yeah, I've got a wee bit of childhood affection for it. You know, I, I did watch it a lot whenever I was younger because it's normally on... Easter's and Christmases, yes. and any school holiday, basically. Um, you know, it's a good movie, mm-hmm. um, though I haven't watched it so many times, and uh, I don't think, well, like, it's it obviously it's aged. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know for the better, mm-hmm. um, as if you go back and watch it now. Um, there's a I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, this is the point I think where I think I would quite like to get some kids um, to compare, see how they thought about the two versions because I wonder how much of our approach to this is because we are all of a certain age and we are all of a certain age. So for us, the Tim Burton version certainly never existed. This was the film, and it got played so often. Yeah. Um, and it was a kind of filmmaking that was around that we kind of recognize and identify with and sat with quite well um i'm pretty sure that the nostalgia element certainly influences my viewing i watched it again this morning and i mean my face just lights up when gene wilder comes on screen partly because he's gene wilder is incredible in this i mean i i think i i take your point in the nostalgia but um i 
think one of the things you notice coming back to it as an adult watching, I mean, I watched it uh, yesterday for the first time in a good few years. um, And it's a film I'm very familiar with, but clearly not as an adult because it wasn't as good as I remembered. (gasps) I know. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. (laughs) I mean, the the Candyman song is just actually kind of creepy. There's a lot of creepiness about it. Oh, there's a lot, but that bit, I don't think it knows it's creepy. I think it's trying to be adorable. But it's actually just creepy. Whereas, song? Yeah. Yeah. The, so it's the very first song in the film. It's literally like just once the credits go, um, it's all the kids going into the kids store, into the sweetie shop. And the, and, the and trashing it, basically trashing it and chucking sweets everywhere. And sweetie shop tell, tell her, basically telling them how amazing sweeties are. Triple cream custard. Christopher. Dolce Snorter. Sizzler for June Marie. And listen. Wonka's got a new one today. What is it? This is called a scrumbibbly-umptious bar. Scrumbibbly-umptious bar? How does he do it? My dear boy, do you ask a fish how it swims? No. Or a bird how it flies? No. No, sir, you don't. Yeah. Yes. Well, giving them free sweets yeah. and, and like touching them quite a lot, which I think dates it. You know, I mean, it's he's, he's not. it's not in a, a way that would have been considered unacceptable. Um, at any point before we became sort of hyper vigilant about grown ups touching children, but in the sort of a twenty first century context, it's like ah, don't touch the kids so much. What I do think, you know, if you've got any kind of family friendly film, um, that there is still probably more touching than you'll get in the average film because it's it's, it's part of that thing they're trying to. Are we seriously going to try and quantify the acceptable level of child touching in a film? Um. <laughs> We've gone to new depths here, I think. This, this could be it could be an interesting <laughs> one of our live conversations, couldn't it? In, in this film, there was only three children touched in the first 30 minutes. I will now be attempting a quantitative analysis of the amount of touching of children that occurs in this film. Everything from here onwards is below the knee. <laughs> <laughs> Um, quite possibly. So yeah, <laughs> that happened. But Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder's amazing. So from the moment he comes on the screen, it's a different film entirely. It's just a complete masterpiece of. I mean, he embodies that role. He's oh, he exceptional, does. and he has complete control over it too. Have you ever heard about his instructions for this one? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah. So, so Gene Wilder himself actually, um, he, he agreed to take the part on after many other people were considered, and Roald Dahl wanted Spike Mulligan. Um, who would be an interesting choice, but I think Gene Wilder was ultimately the right call. They're definitely the this right is, call. This is also part of the reason why Roald Dahl apparently disowned it, was mm-hmm. because they ignored his casting suggestion. And they rewrote his script. Uh, <laughs> because he didn't keep to his deadlines. He didn't keep to his deadlines, yes. Not that any of us would know anything about that. Um, but uh, Gene Wilder actually wrote to the producers whenever he said he was going to take it on, and he said, uh, this was his instructions, he would take it under the condition that uh, when I make my first entrance, I'd like to come out of the door carrying a cane and then walk towards the crowd with a limp. After the crowd sees Willy Wonka as a cripple, they'll all whisper to themselves and then become deathly quiet. As I walk toward them, my cane sinks into one of the cobblestones I'm walking on and stands straight up by itself, but I keep on walking until I realise that I no longer have my cane. I start to fall forward and just before I hit the ground, I do a beautiful forward somersault and bounce back up to great applause. And... um, when he was asked about, you know, and he then went on to say that the, the reason he wanted this kind of entrance was because that from that time on, no one will know if I'm lying or telling the truth. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And I think he has such a fundamental understanding mm. of certainly that incarnation of the character. Und- undoubtedly. I mean, I, I, I've often watched this film and, and view him and view Willy Wonka as a master manipulator. Yeah. Everything is under his control. Mm-hmm. 
There's yeah. not a moment in that that he is not in charge, that he does not know exactly what's going on. But it also makes the whole thing seem really, really sinister. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's the beauty of Dahl's work, though. I mean, it's so very sinister. It's mm. it's sadistic. It's cruel. It's um, violent and gory. I, I mean, I think that from I said such a long time since I've read the book. I remember devouring it. I read it loads as a child over mm-hmm. and over again. But um, I don't remember that level of manipulation being part of the character in the book. That strikes me, and I'm prepared to be told I'm wrong about this, but that strikes me as a, a wilder invention. Uh, I would need to go back and have a look, mm. but I think it's I think it's more than that because, for instance, when you watch someone like Slugworth, so Slugworth, um, basically a competitor in the in the novel, kind of brush away character that, yeah. that doesn't become a thing in the film adaptation. David Seltzer, who comes in to rewrite the script, um, who's perhaps best known for for writing the script for The Omen. Um, Didn't know that. That makes yep. some things make a lot more sense. Another film with lots of sinister overtones and manipulation. <laughs> yeah. Also, Roald Dahl is Awful doing this children. all the time with Tales of the Unexpected and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but um, what that that does is it brings Slugworth out as, a, as an actual villain, as a character. But when you watch the film, Slugworth pops up at the right moment every single time with every one of the kids. And it's pretty clear, I think, from the final conversation that, that uh, Willy Wonka has with Charlie Bucket that he's picked Charlie. At some point, he has... How he's picked him? I don't know. But he has singled this kid out and has worked out that this is the kid that's going to take everything. Um, So he's been following his progress, I can only imagine, for a while. <laughs> but Slugworth is always there when some, when a ticket is found. When the ticket's found in the factory, when they're going through the tickets, there's Slugworth working and he literally carries the ticket up the stairs. I mean, this guy is there. He's planting each of the tickets. They are picking the five people... There, Willy Wonka's in total control. He's a master manipulator. This this reads like sort of really, really good Willy Wonka fan fiction here that I would really love to read. We should do a live a live commentary thing for this one with this in mind as yes. you watch it and you see where Slugworth is every time. Yeah, I um, never noticed that. I have to, I have to say I, I never. I've seen him a couple of times, but I didn't know he was there for every single one. He's there for every single one. He's there at all the press conferences. But, it, but, it, but it's because he's actually there when... Two of the tickets, I think two, possibly three of the tickets are found. That changes it because these tickets are going all over the world. So for him to be able to go around the world to be there at that precise moment, he has to have control. He has to be planting them. And we know ultimately that Slugworth isn't actually an evil villain anyway. Slugworth is one of Willy Wonka's own employees. I mean, it's like this other brand that, that he set up just to kind of create a little bit more mystery about himself because he's not mysterious enough living mm. in a castle with a bunch of tiny orange men. Yes, this is really this is a, a side of it that I'd never considered and it actually makes it more interesting. Um, it's brilliant. I, I get something more out of it every time I see it. And all the, it also means that all the kids, uh, I mean, what I love is when you see them when the kids do something that they shouldn't do. Um, You know, it's kind of like, uh, stop yes I Elf. love that it's wonderful <laughs> it's just wonderful and it's because he delivers it as well I mean he sells this 100% he's not trying to be weird he's just that I mean there's, there's no kind of self-consciously weird in that depiction of him there's just somebody who is 100% self-possessed um, and is 
is playing a character. I mean, that's Willy Wonka playing the character of Willy Wonka. Mm. Um, somebody who, and, and you, you know, this is a character that he's clearly honed for decades in isolation because who was he playing that character for until the kids came into the, the factory? But it's a character that is 100% owned by him and he manipulates, as you say, everybody's um, perception of what's going on, directing and misdirecting and redirecting attention and guiding a narrative and and sort of nudging people into their place in that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's wonderfully sinister um, in ways that I f- feel are differently sinister from the book in some, some ways. I mean, we've got to talk about that boat ride. Okay. Yeah, we've got to talk about that, haven't we? I mean, it's, it's, that is the thing that, that one remembers about the film and the, the forward roll when we meet him, the, the cane and the forward roll. Those are the things that always have stood out in my mind about the film. But yeah, the boat ride. You're going to love this. Just love it. That's some disturbing shit. <laughs> <laughs> in a children's film. <laughs> They've had a lovely little song about, mm-hmm. well, no, actually, there's been a child has been um, half drowned and sucked into a tube. That's that's what precedes the boat ride, of course. But but they've had a lo- lovely little song about how nice it is to live in paradise where you can eat everything that's around you and it's all made of sugar. Um, and then they go on an LSD field trip down the river, sort of heart of darkness type of thing where weird pictures of insects crawling on people's faces appear on the wall and apparently they're going to crash and die. So, yeah. And then all of a sudden it stops. It's really disturbing. I mean, as a child, I was disturbed by it. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't the kind of kid that liked disturbing. I was the kind of kid that was frightened by that. This may explain a lot about why I am the way I am <laughs> when I think about this. Um, I, I think for me, it's it's partly Gmod's lovely, um, slightly manic, um, disturbing dialogue as the lines he's yeah. saying. There's no earthly way of knowing <laughs> he's singing. which direction we are going. There's no knowing where we're rowing or which way the river's flowing. Is it raining? Is it snowing? Is a hurricane a he seems so disconnected, but also so totally in control. Yeah. Uh, you've got the the Oompa Loompas kind of just pulling the, you know, literally uh, sort of steering the ship harder and harder and faster and faster. And you've got all this imagery going by. You've got these lovely trippy lights. And you've got people on board. I mean, Charlie and his grandfather, Grandpa Joe, are actually quite enjoying it. They seem to be accepting it for what it is. They realize that Wonka's got to take them on a journey and they've got to go with them and buy into it. But everyone else is sort of wants it their way. Mm-hmm. Oh, which actually makes a lot more sense now because that's what he's looking for, as he says at the end of the film. Spoilers, folks, if you haven't seen this. Yeah, well, to be fair, you know, it's it's nearly 40, 50, 50, years, 50 old. years old. So, you know, I think spoilers are OK at this point. Um, But he uh, he does say at the end, you know, that he's looking for some. The reason he was looking for a kid was because an adult would want to do it their way. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you find a child, the child will do it his way. Which and doesn't quite... bode for a healthy childhood for, for the rest of Charlie's childhood. No, but but, I, yeah. I, I get it. It means he can teach a child. You can't teach an adult. An adult's just going to do whatever they think that they, they need to do. And Grandpa Joe and Charlie buy into that. They understand that he's going to do it. The rest of them all want their own thing. Mike just wants to be on TV. You know, uh, is it Veruca Salt just wants everything. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Violet's just too busy chewing and so self-obsessed with that, you know, I mean, and, and, and showing off against her friends. So they all have their own little kind of narcissistic obsessions with parents who are completely ineffectual and don't know how to say no. Whereas Charlie is somebody who ultimately actually never gets anything for him. For He, he has a parent that's missing and... You know, his his grandparents aren't able to do anything. They're they've been bedridden for twenty years. They can't give them the luxuries. The whole thing is they 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 dress this right at the start of the film, where they're dining on cabbage juice for dinner, and Charlie has bought with his first wage packet a loaf of bread. bread. Yeah, and they're getting so excited. And then they you know they address this. They say like if you know when we're looking at a bit of bread as a as a you know banquet. as a banquet, we call like, it a banquet. Like that's not right. But that's where these that's what this family is. They have nothing. They're not selfish because every little bit they have, they're willing to share. Charlie shares everything. The the the, the chocolate he gets given for his birthday, he's wanting to split up with everyone. And it's basically a big wagon wheel. Yeah. You can't help but feel for them and think like this kid actually deserves a break. Yeah. Let's talk about the actor, can we? We yeah. talk about the actor who plays Charlie. Cause I, I actually, I think he's kind of mesmerizing. That's his only role mm-hmm. as well. He's a vet now. Um. He was. He's a vet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He he did. He declined to sign a three picture contract on the back of this, um, and never acted another film again. But. And now looks like Grandpa Joe. Yeah. um, (laughs) But but he's. I mean that that's a role that was going to toe a very thin line between um, adorable and insufferable, Mm. and he's he never strays over that line. He's always just sweet. Um, and and sort of wide-eyed innocence um, at no point and this is this is not something you can say about every child actor at no point do you want to rip off his arm and hit him with the wet end so you know <laughs> so I've never heard that expression haven't before. you yeah. well you're welcome <laughs> rip off his arm and beat him with the wet end yeah um, <laughs> and <laughs> if I derailed the conversation completely now but well, you, you certainly got us wondering about child support services. <laughs> <laughs> Your poor son. But I've never, never um, wanted to do that to my own son either. I'd just like to clarify that for the record. My my son is also adorable. Um, but, I mean, that, that kind of wide-eyed, unselfish, pure giving and... and um, you know, adult ahead of his time, but yet innocent. That that ought to be a lot less palatable than it ultimately is. And that kid sells it hard. Um, he he just he never goes the wrong side of. Um, There's only one painful. bit. One, one bit he does that annoys me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that in the way he said he he didn't feel annoyed by him at all. That was the bit whenever they drink the fizzy lifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they mm-hmm. cool one up, and then he's like. Ah, you know. Yeah. That to be fair, that was annoying. We- weirdly, we've Ben and I have not conversed about this before the show. <laughs> but growing up, that's always the bit that bothered me was that that whole sequence, and that's the bit where I've always found it slightly uncomfortable. Bothered Dal lose. as well. Dal hated that. Yeah, that's that was. And it's not. It's not about. It's not because it's gross and because it's crass. Because I mean, as you both well know, I'm quite partial to a little bit grass, crass, gross out humor. Um, but it just sat really. Oddly, yeah, yeah, it's it's almost as they needed the the sort of the denouement to be a certain way, and what was Charlie going to do that was going to because he agrees so readily when Grandpa Joe goes, Charlie, let's 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 take a drink of this thing we've been expressly forbidden not to, to yeah. drink, and Charlie just nods excitedly and and does it, and I okay, yeah, he idolizes Grandpa Joe, mm-hmm. 
but he also idolizes Willy Wonka and he's a kid that does what he's told. I mean, he he just doesn't question authority. I think I mean, he do, he does say, you know, why do they not in reference to the other kids like why aren't they listening? Mm. You know, as he hears Willy give these warnings that if you do this, this will happen. Yeah. So he's obviously heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is attuned to it. But there is, I don't know. I mean, I can kind of get, we, we, I, we've all probably done it at some point where we have um, been towing the line all day long and then someone just makes a little suggestion for us to do something a little bit naughty, a little bit taboo, and we ran with it and possibly even faced the consequences of said actions. So it's not completely impossible. Um, what I find, what is interesting, what's useful though, is that Willy Wonka knows this has happened. Mm. I mean, it's almost like this is the one thing that he knows that they're going to do because at the end he says, you know, you stole the fizzy liquid, you know, the, the, the fizzy drinking stuff, you know. You, fizzy you, lifting juice. Fizzy lifting juice. Thank you, Brian. Um, you hit the ceiling. I now have to get that deep cleaned. Yeah. Um, you've therefore null and voided the agreement. Incidentally, why does he have to get it deep cleaned? Because it's like it's like the, the, the it's like the chocolate uh, river, you know. Aye, it's but human anything that anything that goes up that high is clearly not going to be consumed by anybody. He's, I mean, well, I suppose at that role, he's at that point, he's also being a parent, and a parent will always over exaggerate things. But if he is this clean freak, which you sort of get hints that he might be, um, you know, he lives in a fairly sterile environment. Eh. Fairly sterile. Made much more obvious in the the Burton version, but um, please turn off the fan. Oh, oh, uh, ooh, I'm going down. Quick, Charlie, burp, burp. If you don't get down, you're going to the ribbon. You gotta burp, Charlie. It's the only way. The car. The, the car? You know, that shoots out. Yeah, that, yeah, you're trying to find a, way, a word to describe that. Boom. It's not, <laughs> it's not in any way unhygienic. Un- un- Which car are we talking about? Where's the car? The car? That is in this one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, that is, it's yeah. after, after, um, who's there? Uh, Mike? Yeah, it's it's on the way to the TV, but because uh, Mike Mike's, and- Mike's still oh, there. Oh, yes, 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 yes. This is the the one with the car and then it goes through the squeegee yes. machine. Yes. Yes. And they're covered in, in, in yeah, white stuff. foam. And, yes, yeah. white, white foam. And is it cream? Is it actually cream? Is that what it's meant to be? I think it's just meant to be white foam. It could be cream. I don't know. Uh-huh. I just, I just, I, I, funny enough, I didn't, lo- I must have looked away slightly this morning. When I was I'm walking. just thinking about the boat and the, yeah. uh, that that scene is also kind of weird, like mm, trippy. Yeah, yeah, the car definitely is, and and seems to serve no purpose other than just to, yeah, to and a transition mm-hmm. to this is how we got here. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the, the modes of conveyance, the transport that happens within the film, um, they seem excessive for what's ultimately a, a factory. But then, I suppose it's no different from an evil henchman in a lair in a Bond film with a. A kind of little buggy that's going to go back and forwards in a corridor. Um, that does happen after they drink the fizzy lifting juice, isn't it? I, it, yeah, does, it does, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah they drink that and then they meet up with that car. Yeah, yeah. that's right, because they, they, no, they, they drink the fizzy lifting juice and then they go into the goose, the, the geese that lay the golden eggs, and that's when we lose Veruca. Thank and God. And there's no reference at <laughs> Although all. Although she's a great actress. I mean, there's no, there's no acknowledgement. So, I mean, the other thing is that the Willie makes no reference to the fact that they have been missing. Mm. For several minutes, and you know that he's seen this. Yeah, he does though. 
He does later on, but he doesn't as they come into the room. There's absolutely no hint at all that he's he's noticed that they've been gone. No, somebody him. does. Somebody might do, but it's definitely oh. not him. Somebody definitely does. He definitely refers to it so, later, but at the time. They it was like, where, where have you been? And I think it was time shoelace or something like that. Lay. I think. No, I don't know. And I have just watched this. If recollection serves me right. I I remember him not, it could be somebody else says it, another character, but I remember him not making. But then again, I, I remember lots of things that turn out to be complete fabrications. So just ask my husband. <laughs> I was at your wedding. You definitely got married. I did definitely get married. Yes. We're, we're agreed on that. Okay. Everything else is up for debate <laughs> since then. <laughs> How do you follow that? I don't know. <laughs> Um, there is a, a wonderful surreal quality about the whole film as well, which I think yes. is, is what has always appealed to me. Everything about it is, is slightly bizarre and slightly off. Yeah, and that's it, because I mean the director again. I mean he's he's a prolific director, but he hasn't done anything like this before or after. I don't think anybody had made a film quite like this. And that's very true. Yes, yes. So imagine the pitching session. So it's it's this it's a kids' film. Weird shit happens. We appear to kill off a lot of the children and the course of it. There's lots of song and dance numbers. There's an LSD fueled acid trip down the river um, and then they get covered in weird spunk-like stuff in the car. Um, <laughs> she, we, she said it. <laughs> yeah. oh, we, I think we just needed to get the word out there. Um, and it's just, we, how do you... And then somebody goes, yeah, let's make that, definitely. Um, and, and tie it into selling chocolate bars, which is originally how they got the thing made. Yeah. Um, it was the Quaker Oak, fa- Quaker Oak the Quaker Factory Oak. financed it. Yeah. Serious? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the people, the people that make Weedabix basically had um, were interested in, in this confection line. They were going to launch the Wonka Bar, so they were going to get. But what the deal was to get the license uh, from Roald Dahl's estate to, to from Roald Dahl's people to um, basically license the chocolate bar, but also to make the film. So you had the rights for it, and then they used that to fund the film, which would then cross promote the chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. And that company still existed up until 2000 and I think it was 15. I remember seeing them. They sort of, they disappeared for a while and they relaunched, the, didn't they? The brand um, got sold eventually from Quaker to Nestle. Nestle. And then they dropped that as a, it used to be a separate kind of company in its own right. Was the the Wonka candy car candy? Um, yeah, I remember them. Yeah, and you can still get the, you can still get their products and there are still Wonka branded things. But they've kind of been subsumed back into Nestle. But that's amazing when you think about that. So we, we you know, we're talking about well, dairy milk, not do. Um, they do some kind of Wonka bar. Dairy Cadbury have done something that I am sure is inspired by Wonka because they've got their marvelous creation things. Which the only one of which that seems to still run is the jelly popping candy, which I quite like. Which definitely sounds like a Willy Wonka well, this thing. Is jelly bean one as well. That's, that's the one. Is it, it's, it's jelly beans and popping candy, but not, but I, they've ooh, got like that sounds amazing. I, I'm addicted. <laughs> You're looking for for presents to buy me? Just buy me a crate of those. It's quite weird. Um, I did try a variation of it recently from made by somebody else that wasn't very good. Um, anyway, I digress. But in terms of sort of adaptions of of sort of stories and stuff, I mean, it's a weird thing. Um, when we were talking about Jingle All the Way in the last show, um. We were, were talking about, you know, the, the toy manufacturer coming from a film. And here we've actually got a situation where we have a, a chocolate bar and a whole confectionery line just that's stemmed from this book that ultimately has led to a film. 
So is this a film based on a candy bar? <laughs> I think ultimately candy bar. Candy bar. Ultimately, I think if it had been um, a, a a chocolate bar that had been created specifically for the film and then the film used as a marketing vehicle for it i think i mean it would not have had anything like the kind of love that it has at the minute because the the the, the brand had its life before the film mm. um i think it was actually kind of a work of marketing genius in a lot of ways although uh, probably it would have been more of a work of marketing genius if the film had done better critically and at the box office but um but it didn't stop the the that line from existing no, didn't, which, which is the yeah. interesting thing is that even though the film wasn't a massive box office success at the time the candy bars that's such a weird expression for us we just call them chocolate bars in, in, please in, in, in sort of britain and the united kingdom and ireland we don't talk about candy uh we we talk about chocolates and sweets um but this has obviously been very americanized so it's candy bars all the way so uh, yes, for American listeners, we are slightly perplexed at the <laughs> moment and how to talk about something that we know. Um, I, I, it is interesting that even though the film didn't do particularly well, that the, the the chocolate bar basically then existed in real life yeah. and carried on being made for for decades. Um, but also, the film very quickly found a life for itself within within you know the course of half a dozen years. Mm. You know, the TV screenings start and then it becomes a firm staple favourite. I don't recall a time where it's not been on TV at some point. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember my childhood being saturated with it. Mm. Yeah. And it was the sort of thing that I think parents felt it was OK to let the kids watch because, you know, it was wholesome. It was Roald Dahl and they were trying to get us to read lots of Roald Dahl Clearly when I was a kid. parents that have never read any Roald Dahl books. No, no my fair, parents had, I think, yeah. I've read them. <laughs> No, I never read them. No, you never, never no. read the Twits or the Twits is the best one. Yeah. Start with the Twits. They are decidedly twisted. I mean, this is the joy about Roald Dahl is mm-hmm. he writes for kids, but he he writes almost like they're adults. So they're always very. Um, there's a whole subtext. So uh, I mean, his stuff is is worth having a look at. I think what's surprising is just how twisted it is. How many adults suffer at his hands. Um, to be fair, he also wrote books for adults and he wrote TV for adults and he wrote film adaptations. I mean, he's, he's behind Chetty Chetty Bang Bang. Which is kind of another That's really one. messed he, up. He, the well, child catcher is messed up. That haunted me. Chetty Chetty Bang Bang is an Ian Fleming story. So Ian Fleming, who wrote James Bond originally. Oh, uh, right. Roald Dahl did the screen adaptation of that, but he also did a screen adaptation of one of the Bond films. And I want to say it's Thunderbolt, but I have forgotten temporarily. So I could be slightly wrong about that one. Um, so he's working on the two with the with the... So he has that experience and he is writing other stuff as well, but he is twisted. There are also allegations of, well, they're not allegations really, of sexism, misogyny, racism. They're also pretty apparent. One of the girls in the, the original draft of Charlie and the Dog Party was going to be called Herpes. Oh, God. Oh, is really? This one that I had not heard that. was called Verica by any chance? Do you know what? That would not surprise me. I don't know which one it was, but I just love this fact that. You know, this is something that's going to go straight over a kid's head. But if mum <laughs> and dad are sitting down like, and what? <laughs> oh, herpes? Uh, no, we'll just call her Veruca yeah. instead. No, Roald, you can't call the child herpes. <laughs> um, but what I like, I would think I like is, is a couple of, of commenters on Dal's work have, have flagged up that unusually for most children's authors, this is a guy who's actually killed people in his life. 
So, I mean, there is a fundamental darkness just in how he approaches the world. He what now? He killed people. He, had a, he was a warious um, Second World War. Oh, right. Yeah, um, and, and, and various other activities conducted um, during his course in, in the war. So, he, yeah, he's, he has killed people and been responsible for people's deaths. So there is a fundamental darkness there. I mean, there's yeah. a darkness just, at, I suppose, that... that generation that was obliged to to act in that way during the war you know there's a darkness fundamental i suppose to coming out the other side of that but but not everybody that came out the other side of that went into writing kids books and he did and i just i mean that's what's great about them when you are a kid is what's also disturbing but it's it's the page turner nobody is pandering to you in a Roald Dahl book there is it's they're they're quite happy to say bad shit happens you have very little control over it small children but resourcefulness and the capacity to enormous acts of violence is what's going to get you through. Um, and kids go, oh, actually, yeah, uh, it's wonderful. I mean, Roald Dahl's revolting rhymes, actually, I'm going to change my answer. Roald Dahl's revolting rhymes is even better than the twits because it's so, it is as black as night, the, the, the humour in that. It's so dark, but it's also wonderful. And they all, the cadence and the, the, the they just rhyme beautifully as well. So yeah, that's what that's what everybody should be reading. Roll okay. Dahl uh, I know what I'm buying you for your next present. Right, <laughs> just be a collection of Roald Dahl books. <laughs> um, yeah, they they are twisted, and and trying the Chocolate Factory is definitely, definitely, definitely a twisted story. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie's quite pure, as you say. He's he's quite innocent. He's he's fairly acceptable, but it's everyone else around him, and I like that there are consequences for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we you know we when we were talking about jingle all the way um since once most recent in my memory um you know there's no consequences really for being a shit you're you're a bad person you still get the the thing that you always wanted Mm -hmm. in this yeah if you're a bad person you you, are probably going to be dropped into the furnace it's only lit on every other day so you've got a 50 50 chance (laughs) so it does feel like it's a little bit more um authentic yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's grim fairy tales at the end of the day. You know, those those were they they've been heavily sanitized. The, the versions of the fairy tales that we know these days, but the end of Snow White, the original, well, the original, you know, but the, the the version that was written down by I think I believe this was the Grimm's, um, that the the queen is forced to dance in red hot iron shoes until she dies. That's her punishment. So I mean, that's the level of darkness that we're talking about in these fairy tales, and that's what what we're told to children, mm-hmm. um, in order to get them, you know, to keep them in line. I mean, I think you can only listen to that and go, "Yes, mother, I will never disobey you ever again." I'll actually mean it. Um, whereas you know, Dal is exactly the same. Yes, the world is brutal and violent and gory and awful, and the adults are sadistic and they're not on your side and they're out to get you. But there's comeuppance for it. There's always a comeuppance. The balance is restored um, and the kids do, um, they, they are victorious ultimately. There is a wonderful, uh, lots and lots of wonderful satire in this as well, which I quite like um, in, in terms of each. The, the, I mean, these people represent different things. I do kind of wonder if Augustus Gloop is some kind of wartime revenge you know, you have the the one German boy amongst all the English people. And that poor kid was actually German and couldn't speak a word of English. He had to be coached. Really? Uh, yeah. In order to do his lines, he had to be guided into everything he was saying. But, I mean, Augustus is just fat, indulgent, excessive. I love chocolate. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, Augustus Glib is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it gets sucked off up a pipe, you know, uh, and it's just like, is this kind of thing? And there's a reference as well to a gun and that. And I just kind of, oh, maybe something there. 
Well, and Dal also hates fat kids. I mean, these, yeah. these, they, they really get a hard they? time in his books. A bloody sizest. Yes. Well, I mean, that and many other ists could be applied to him. <laughs> um, but each of the, each of the kids is, is sort of commenting on something and they are playing on stereotypes like my tv is, is is sort of a wonderful caricature of americana you know particularly 60s americana which i don't think is not it's, it's it's more ubiquitous now it's something that i think a lot of us remember these kids that just are so focused on on whatever it is they're watching on a screen that they can't mm. in a, interact with them i'm sure it's like kids nowadays like yeah computers computers and youtube yeah. you know i want to be a youtuber yes yeah. that is actually a thing that kids want to be these yeah. days i've been quite this is i've been forced to confront this recently and i'm just like what? My That's the thing? My, my so, son and his best mate uh, are going to move to California and be YouTubers. <laughs> That's what I've been told. It says us as we sit here doing a podcast. Because <laughs> we're so much better than that. Well, but podcasts are a real But thing, I have though. a real job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You've also never had a, commu- a conversation with Ben when he's busy playing a game. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly the same. You can't get, get his attention. You could if you <laughs> if you watch one of my streams, or, or if you actually then join the game as another player and you start talking to him, then he will interact with you. Yeah, this is a world that I have no context for whatsoever. <laughs> so I mean that stuff does still exist, but I, I mean Mike's obsession with with being a star, it is sort of um, preempting, I suppose that that phenomenon that we have now with the you know as you say with the youtube stars with with everyone having their 15 minutes of fame and instagram stars and all that dal is at this point living in new york and is married to a film star Mm -hmm. so but can you not live in an environment without and and still satirize it i find that really interesting but new york also is california no that's true but he's still married to a film star yeah um patricia neal yeah yeah um and and obviously he doesn't have any real affection for that culture. No. Which yeah. Anyway, that's which, which is very obvious. I mean, and also, but if you, when you think about it, this, is a film that is partly you know it's partly American funded. It's mm-hmm. partly partly you know British. It's shot in Germany, but they are still playing about with these stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So you've got an American star who's been quite mocking of 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 sort of that culture that exists. And I love you know that Mike is is so focused on being on TV. You know. <laughs> he knows this TV is to the tiny audience that's gathered around it. And he's like, I'm going to be a star. I just wait till all the guys back home hear about it. It's like, you're a tiny man now. Oh, he's a tiny man. <laughs> um, Where are you going with this? I don't know. I, <laughs> it's I, a child. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but there is. Okay, that's good. You know, there, there is something quite interesting about him, about all this stuff. What, um, what I would like to know is like, what happens to all the kids that just. In this film, we don't know. I mean, we're, you, we're told that they're all right, ultimately, but that does... I well, mean, no, he's, he's, he says that they're all going to be back to their... Yeah. B- before... But he also lies through his teeth yeah. as, as appropriate to what he needs to happen yeah. at a so, given moment. So when so you that, that's just like what you said about... So if you factor in that that's what Gene Wilder himself says about the character, yeah. that the is he reason, lying? Is he telling the truth? So you never know, uh, and we know what, some of what's happened to him. I mean, he's talked about uh, having to, to juice people out. Um, Mike TV gets sent off to the taffy taffy puller. Taffy, taffy puller. Yeah. I, I seem to remember the book that the some like Mike TV at least returns all stretched and gangly. Oh, they, they all return in the book, right? In the book, they're all. They're not fine, <laughs> no. <laughs> but and, they're all and Violet, alive. Violet's permanently violet, as yeah. I recall. Yeah, um, they they are all alive at the end. But what I love is that you know there's that point where um, 
the Oompa Loompa asks of him, this is something that you can barely hear on, on the soundtrack. And he says, no, I'm not going to hold you responsible. <laughs> He's like, what happens if we kill him? Is yeah. probably what the Oompa Loompa is asking. Um, at the end, before he tells Charlie off and tells him, and, and also then Charlie redeems himself, um, he does tell Charlie uh, that everyone's going to be just as they were whenever they came in, which you know is not true. Yeah. I mean, psychologically, everybody is going to be affected by their experiences within that building. The stuff that happens to them isn't just, we had a dream holiday and we yeah. screwed it up. It's like we were physically changed as a result of this. Yeah, but it's their own fault. Completely. Absolutely. But have any of them got the tools to actually connect with the fact of their own culpability for this? As far as they're concerned, they were just doing what they do and this awful man tortured them. No, the only one that actually gets it is Charlie. Mm. And Charlie's only seen to get it when he puts back the gobstopper. Yeah. Because his granda promises revenge. His granda says, I'm going to get my own back on him if it's the last thing I do. If Slugger wants a gobstopper, he can have one. And that's also not his choice to make because Charlie's the one that's given the gobstopper. The kids are the only ones that get them, not the adults. And Charlie makes the call to give that back to Willy Wonka because that is, he sees, I guess he must see the risk um, that his grandfather will take control of something and he shouldn't. Because Charlie's the one that signed the contract. Charlie's the one that's made the promise. Charlie's the one that was approached by Slugworth. Mm. Um, and he realises that he doesn't want that responsibility, that that would be wrong. And he gives it back. Mm. Which is quite a noble gesture. And that's the moment where everything sort of comes together. Well, speaking of that office, mm -hmm. why are the pieces of paper not half pieces of paper? That's an excellent question. Yeah. Well, they are. Everything else is... If you look at the contract, the contract's only half the contract. No, no, whenever he takes out a piece of paper... Oh, yes. And he's writing. Uh, he's writing a full thing. He's mm -hmm. writing on a full piece of paper and not half a piece of paper. Uh, continuity errors. Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry, it's always bugged me about that. I mean, Why is it not half a pen? <laughs> oh, wait, it's why? a feather, isn't it? <laughs> Why? Why is? Why is it a room of half things anyway? Because, what, what relevance does that have to anything? Because uh, again, it's, it's it's that slight surreal thing, but also I think because half of it's not said. Is it? Do you I, think? I, I think that part of it is. It, I mean, there's this whole thing about what is seen and what's not seen. Yeah. So everything that you see isn't actually the full story at any point, okay. and what he tells you isn't the full story at any point. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that's left to conjecture, and I think that that the absence of that stuff is sort of pointing to the fact that we don't have the full picture. I love that you've got a real film critic interpretation for this. <laughs> I want to see your monograph on Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. We could, we could do one for our new imprint. <laughs> yes, and I think we should. Um, no, I, I think that there, there's something. For, I, this film, the more I watch it, the more I get out of it, yeah. the more that I see that there is something else going on, the richer text it is. Um, and I just can't help but love it. Everything yeah. about it is is adorable, from the production design to the casting to to the songs. The songs which Roald Dahl didn't like, because he didn't write them. That's basically what it comes down to. The ones in the Tim Burton version. Um, Roald Dahl actually gets the credit for because they're taken straight from the, 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 the words that he writes in the book. And then Danny Elfman has jazzed them up and uh, Deep Roy acts them out as all the Oompa Loompas, as one man yeah. in that version. Yeah. Uh, whereas this is a bunch of little people who do this one. Um, but, uh, Augustus Gloop, 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 August
Augustus Gloop, the great bakery evening complete. Augustus Gloop, so big and vile, so greedy, foul and infantile. Come on, we cry, the time is right, the engine shooting up the pipe. But don't dare, children, be alarmed. Augustus Gloop will not be harmed. Augustus Gloop will not be harmed. Burton claimed that the 1971 one was sappy. Yeah, I don't agree with everything Burton says about this. I love Tim Burton. Sappy. But what, is, what does that even mean? Sappy. Sweet and and, oh, and watered oh, down right. and oh. and yeah. A bit naff. Family really. friendly to the detriment of the original mm, materials. Yeah, Not at all. I mean, just because there are some. So is his. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. His is probably more so. Yes, thank you. Let's have some more hate for what? it. Let's just hate. Let's pile on the hate. <laughs> I think I think Burton is frequently disingenuous in some of the things that he says about other people, particularly in, in, in relation to the remakes, which he has done increasingly. Uh, and his yeah, remakes have not been as well received as his Planet original of the Apes, material. That was worth doing. Planet of the Apes, Dumbo. Uh, oh God, did he do Dumbo as well? Yeah, Dumbo, yeah. I haven't seen that. I've did you not listen to our podcast with uh, yeah, David Del Val? Yeah, yeah. David and I were in, I did, were in yeah. LA and David refused to go and watch Dumbo with me because Absolutely, I listen to all the things that we do. <laughs> sure, Night, Nightmare Before Christmas, it's pretty sappy and... Yeah. Uh, well, it's not Corpse, Corpse's Bride. Cor- Corpse Bride, yeah, yeah which it's... he made at the same time as he was making Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Um, Burton is not... Uh, some of the stuff he says, I, I just don't think is fair at all, and I don't think he needs to slight uh, a previous version mm-hmm. of the film. That doesn't mean that you can't still make your version yeah, of the film. And absolutely. In fact, probably there would be more goodwill for him. Yeah. Um, if he didn't make comments like that, um, yeah, I mean Johnny Depp was was did not diss Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder in turn did not diss Johnny Depp. Yeah, um, because there was an appreciation, I guess, for each other's work. Do you know who should remake it? No, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson, shouldn't he? Stop motion. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox was fantastic. What, what I love is that. When we were recording these last year, Rachel had no interest in Wes Anderson None. whatsoever. Yeah. I've just made her watch most of Wes Anderson's oeuvre yeah. for one of our workshops and now she's a fan. Well, I'm certainly a massive fan of uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel's gorgeous. That's lovely. Um, oh, I can just see Wes Anderson working through a factory now as well. Yeah, can't you? <laughs> yeah. See, now I've said it. Let, let, let's let's I just, just want to say that cutaway, you know, as they go through all the different levels, seeing how each room yes. connects. <gasps> Get him to do Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator. Yes. Which is now the, 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 the so there's two. I know. I know about that. Well, I don't know about it, but I, I you knew there was I, one. I know there is a book because I have the book. But ah. I've never, <laughs> never, I've read, never read the book. Anybody that's listening to this that wants to make this happen, follow us on Twitter and let's get the petition started. Uh, um, that or Terry Gilliam. I, uh, Terry Gilliam's getting a bit old now, but I, I could imagine a Terry Gilliam version of this. Terry Gilliam in the 1990s. I'd read all all over that, but I think nowadays it's not a Terry Gilliam project. Do it's you a Wes know Anderson. Terry Gilliam was actually considered for the casting? For this. I do. All of the all, all the of the Pythons. Pythons were up for the casting in it. Yeah, they all wanted uh-huh. to. They all, all wanted all, it. All wanted to be Willy Wonka. And none and when, of them were considered a big enough star at that time. And when Tim Burton did his version, uh, Eric Idle, John Cleese, and Michael Palin were all considered again. Mm. A bit, so. bit, bit old by that point, I think. Um, well, it just would have been a different. Mm-hmm. Exactly that. It would have been different. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka does still seem quite young, mm. really, to be considering his legacy and giving it away to a child. I suppose that's true. Yeah. In, no, I mean, and we, to have disappeared for decades. Is there something more sinister going on there with that? Ah. Whole thing? Do you like it when someone asks? Oh, what do you mean, like, like the, the the blood of virgins bathing <laughs> in and stuff? No, I'm talking about it's like, like, like uh, Willy Wonka's health. 
Um, you know, is that reason why he's giving his factory to? It's a good question. I, I kind of, I suppose, in the context of. 1960s 1970s culture you might see him as possibly a lonely gay man living by himself i mean certainly he's only surrounded by men there's no women in this place that's true and they're all fetishized in some way yes and and again when charlie comes along and it's two men left at the end Mm. well a a proto man and a man and another man so it could be that you know he's a gay man at that point gay men weren't seen to be sort of people that would have families yeah. So this is his only way of ensuring that he has um, a, someone else to follow in his footsteps. Um, certainly, I, I wouldn't disagree with that as mm. a as a reading. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. Whether Willy Wonka is gay or not, I don't know. Um, if he was, I can also see why people find him slightly creepy. Um, I can see why occasionally people might suggest that there's something slightly pedophilic about it as well i mean you've got a man who's obsessed with these little children that he coaxes into his big factory you know only to 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 sort of manipulate into various grim demises yeah, yeah. But murder for them and <laughs> oh god no i don't like this this reading at all let's not <laughs> let's not go down this street well, it's, it's not it's not a pleasant reading but it's, <clears> it's it, i guess it's you know as if we put on our film critic head for a second use those degrees that we've all earned um, Disclaimer, Ben doesn't have a degree Which is why he talks more sense than us <laughs> um, But if we're going to do that I mean you, you can't not address it I mean it's something that has been raised by other people um, You know that stuff does exist I, it Certainly it, I mean is he just a serial killer? <laughs> because I mean certainly if you watch this version of the film We don't know what happens to any of them We only have his word and he's a liar yeah. We know he's a liar Yeah um, so are they all dead? Has he literally just lured a bunch of children into his factory to kill? Is what he's now doing cultivating Charlie Bucket? Is he using them the as net? ingredients for a new <laughs> fantastic <laughs> oh, piece wow. of candy? I mean, this went to some dark places. Bloody hell. <laughs> I'm, I'm not hearing you arguing against it. <laughs> I, I don't. I, 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 I think my brain has spasmed <laughs> with the darkness. It's, it's, it's perfectly feasible. I mean, that that haunting ride alone is yeah. enough to see. We do see like it's, creatures crawling over people's faces. It's not if that's not torture porn. There's there's literally is. nothing I can do to argue against this either because it's entirely plausible. See, um, you know the way they bust when Charlie's given the like, oh, you won, congratulations, and yeah. they get in the glass elevator. Yeah, is that a hint at the? The second book or... Yeah, that's, that's how the uh, original book finishes, basically. Well, but slightly different monologue, but it, the first book finishes with the uh, Great Glass Elevator popping out through the roof of the building and then they go off to find the family and then they go off to, uh, for adventures together. Um, that's where you get <clears throat> the vermicious canids. He mentions the vermicious canids, which is enough to strike fear into my heart even now. The vermicious canids were terrifying in the second book. So... It did exist, but for some reason they've never gone and made it. They didn't do it after this one, which is, just, well, I suppose the reason they didn't do it after this one is because the first one didn't really become a success until later on. Yeah. And also, why would you? It's like if a cult you, success kind of thing. I yeah, think it, it was yeah. a slow burner. I mean, it, it, it did okay. It didn't it was lose TV money. Screenings. It was a t- well, yeah, and it was <clears> the TV screenings that really uh, popularized it ultimately. Mm-hmm. So TV was where it made all its money and then domestic video. Um, When Tim Burton did his version, I suspect that it probably was a consideration that they might do. Pardon me, a second one. Uh 
uh, and it did okay at the box office. It wasn't a box office failure, um, but I don't know. I guess maybe they just couldn't coax them back, or there just wasn't enough material, or they just weren't interested. Yeah. Um, I mean, Burton didn't do the second Alice in Wonderland story, although he produced it. Um, so, I mean, who knows? It's a shame that, I mean, for me, it's a shame that they didn't carry on, um, but it would have been a very different beast as well. I think there's something about this story, the idea that um, we all as individuals can aspire towards something great, that, that anyone can have a chance on a, on a ticket that might win us our, our greatest desire. Who's not going to buy into that? How many of us haven't at some point bought endless supplies of something because there's codes on it that you might win, particularly as a kid? You know, we all buy into that shit. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you turn back the, your box of Rice Krispies to try and find that code to enter in somewhere yeah. in the hope that you maybe have won something. I remember the days when they had plastic toys in your cereal. That was Oh, better. yeah. Yeah. I miss those. <laughs> um, back before some idiot child choked on it because of an <laughs> irresponsible parent. Or, or a Willy Wonka deliberately placed it within that box of cereal, I suspect. To use him as ingredients for his next oh candy bar. <laughs> That's what's really underneath that that, that machine that he won't let Slugworth see is the, is the mince meat machine. Bits of children? Yeah. Okay, all right. The everlasting gobstuffer. It, it's the bones, yeah. It's the bones. That's, That's what makes it everlasting. I, I'm too horrified to comment. Whoever thought we'd get Rachel speechless? Yeah. Um... Yeah, it, it is. It is a film that I think rewards rewatching. It's a film that that doesn't get old. I mean, yeah. you, so you said at the start actually that you said you felt it dated. Uh, uh, yeah, well, like uh, it's it's probably me just thinking about like uh, like uh, obviously you know, like a production level. Mm. You know, you can tell it's an old movie. Okay, you yeah, know, you can. The factory's uh, still pretty convincing for the most part. Yeah, and like the 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 music as well. Like mm-hmm. some of the music in it's great, but you know it's a bit like you know old old. old. <laughs> you know, it's like fifty years old. Like, you know, I think that for me, I think the music of this version will date. Uh, dates less quickly than oh yeah the, the Danny Elfman the, version yeah the new stuff is which is I mean I I love Danny Elfman stuff but it just it, it's of its moment rather than being timeless. Yeah. I don't even remember the music from that um, abomination. I do have I quite like the Oompa Loompa songs, to be fair. Oh, I remember those. They were they were good. Um, I didn't like all the stupid voice effects and you know. No. All that, you know. Can can we? I don't want to to talk about this without talking about the Oompa Loompas. Okay, let's talk because about the Because they're a huge part of the story. Yeah. Mm. And uncredited. That's sad. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Apparently, apparently there's no credit for the Oompa Loompas. Serious? Yeah. So it's almost like they don't exist. They're not real people. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's an inescapable conclusion from, from that. that they, you know, the Oompa Loompas, without the Oompa Loompas, there is no Charlie in the Chocolate Factory for like, both textually and mm-hmm. in the minds of all the children who fell in love with that film. And yet the actors aren't credited for it. So, yeah. How did that happen? How was that allowed to happen? Um, it's not uncommon for films produced before the 1990s to only have a partial cast list. Um, and you know yourself from having worked on television um, that if you're an extra, you don't 
often get credited. The, the way that the, yep. the limpers were no extras. extras no. um, some of them probably were paid as extras. Some of them will have been paid as proper performers. I, I dare say the two exist. But yeah, they should have. We, if they were doing it today, they'd be credited. Mm-hmm. But then this is what I find bizarre in some ways is you have a whole bunch of guys who are playing the Olympus for this film. For Tim Burton, there's one guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, I mean, I don't know if that says more. I don't know if that's better or worse. I, I honestly know. can't decide. And you know me, I will definitely not take any opportunity or not miss any opportunity to bash mm-hmm. the Tim Burton version. And I genuinely can't decide if that's better or worse. I mean, Deep, Deep Boy is fantastic, mm-hmm. as all the Olympus. I adore that man. Um, but it's also sad that, that there's not the variety. Yeah. Although you have a race that are meant to basically be looking almost identical as well. I mean, spotting one in Balumba from another in, in Are they all male? Are they are they they're, they're all men, certainly in these versions. Again, there's this this giant gay commune that Willy Wonka lives in. <laughs> but like if it's is it like is it like a case that they They reproduce by sucking each other off. I don't know. No. Oh my god. No, I'm certain the books talk about female and, and baby. In I Balumbas. thought they did, yeah. yeah. But there's yeah. none in the but film. Not in your big um, homoerotic <laughs> fantasy. No, that's how they reproduce. <laughs> I'm seriously concerned about them, my colleagues. <laughs> in the context of this film, there are no women present. Right. Okay. I mean, there, 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 there's no. Obviously, I've never read the books, so I, I don't know anything. But the, the, there's really no other than you don't on screen. I mean, if we just keep it to the screen, on screen you see no female Impalimbas, you see no Impalimba children. They all look to be. Pretty much identical men of the same age, um, with their bright orange skin yes. and their green, green, green hair. hair. Yes. Um, Why are they orange? They just are. That's <laughs> what people look like in Imbalimbalan. Yes. Duh. <laughs> Is it in a far off? Yes. It's it's galaxy far no, far no, away. No, no, it's on Earth. It's, it's on, on Earth? Earth. Yes. It's it's they are they are a race of Earthlings. Although as it turns out, the Great Glass Elevator is space worthy, and capable of. Can it travel through time? That's not explored. Because no. it, you know it can go upwards, downwards, sideways, down, yeah. you know, and into space, and visit other worlds. But can it go through time? I don't see any reason why not. But as far as I'm aware, that has not yet been explored. No. I mean, we all travel forwards through time, so yes. Mm-hmm. That's very, very deep. Isn't it? We've gone from, from the absolute depths of human depravity <laughs> to philosophizing on, um, philosophizing, philos- phil- I can't say the word, philosophizing is on it, time travel. So is it okay to like the Oompa Loompas? Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 since 1971, things have changed a lot in terms of what is and isn't acceptable, what's politically correct and what isn't politically correct. The Oompa Loompas are probably not politically correct. Why? Is that fair to say? Was it you because it was um, the the actors or I think I think this is I think for me that's probably where it is I mean because actually races of people that are shorter than everybody else do exist people do exist that are not of average height yeah um, but these are races that just full of them and I guess it just I don't know sometimes it just feels a little bit so Oompa Loompa as a name I think is problematic. Um, Today, yes, it gets used as a pejorative term for people of diminutive stature. Yeah, but even I mean, even what it's referencing um, is is I mean, it's, it's vaguely racist overtones of, of kind of pidgin English. But um, I I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong. I mean, with what? with using um, uh, people with dwarfism to to represent them. Is that maybe the thing then? I mean, I think you sort of almost said what I think I'm thinking. What I think I'm thinking. What do you um, think you're thinking? I think I'm thinking that they're actually they're some sort of representative for ethnic minorities. 
Well, they are really the only non-white <laughs> anything in the film. So I think you're not wrong there. And I think the fact that they are they are basically coded non-white no, no, through all kinds of different... And I know he says he's rescued them, but he's rescued them like a great big white yes. slave trader who's I, brought them back to, to work in his factory. Yeah, I mean, we have the whole, no <laughs> the whole white Jesus thing there again, which is extremely problematic. And yeah, he more or less has... Oh, Lord, there's definitely a... There's a really strong reading of 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 uh, Willy Wonka as a as basically a slave owner. And he does say he does. The white, it's it's a white man's burden, does, isn't it? Does he say in the film, or is it just in the book where he he basically talks about the fact they don't want money? I think that I don't think that's in the film, but I it is in the, book. in the book. Yeah. So it's, so it's, they work for chocolate or something, don't they? So they actually don't want money. So this is typical slave. Yeah. Owner behavior and, I and had to, of, I had to do it to rescue them from their terrible living situation because Lord knows they couldn't take care of themselves and no they don't want money they're quite happy to work for food oh no that's awful isn't it yeah I mean so this is why I think sometimes I find them slightly problematic now that said they are see no actually I was about to say something really good about them but then I started thinking about these racial stereotypes as well. And I mean, they are kind of like, you know, the, the black and white minstrel show kind of version of, 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 of ethnic minorities where, you know, they're all super happy. They're always singing. It's like they're down on the farm with a slave yeah. trader picking the cotton and going, let's sing, let's song. They, they have a lot of agency. They have a lot they do, of, do they? well, they do. I mean, they can sing when they want, but oh. generally after somebody's had something bad happen to them, like a tribal, ceremonial, um, primitive kind of war dance situation. And all their songs are related to the yeah the the person that got off. The, the bumping off of the latest child. <laughs> yeah. Who's next for the meat grinder? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although they as, do have... As if it's all been, like, you know, premeditated, you yeah. know. There's, totally there, is, there is no rescue in this from this reading at all. This is I'm a horror trying, movie. Yeah, I'm really trying to, to come up with something that is is some kind of defense of the Imp Olympus. There's no rescue in this. This is an absolutely abhorrent. The choreography <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That was that was nice. I like that. They, 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 they carry a good tune. But my gosh, this is ultimately just a horror film, isn't it? There is. There, well, all of Dahl's work is ultimately horror. Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, we were going to talk about the witches recently and hopefully mm. we will still talk about them um, in the near future. But, <clears throat> I mean, that's that's horror. Yes, undoubtedly. And, yeah, and it's the, that film is played as horror with a, you know, a slight veneer of child friendliness. I think there is a, I want to say there's a YouTube mashup video somewhere that does redo a trailer for this as a horror film, which doesn't take a lot of convincing, let's be honest. I mean, if this is a film that Marilyn Manson cites <laughs> and does a cover version for songs from, I mean, that tells you where this film is. Yeah. This is not a film for happy, clappy uh, church scores. This is a film for the darkest mm. uh, realms of society. There's Which direction we are going There's no knowing where we're going Or which way the wind That said, do we like it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't, I mean, you can't not like it. It's not as good as I remember, but it's still lovely. And I'm really disturbed by a number of the, the things that we've highlighted. And I'm not sure I can love it as much anymore. But oh, I don't know. I, I, I think it makes me want to actually go and watch it again and see if I can see or pick out something else. I feel this is a film that we should actually return to at some point because it, it, for me, like this is just actually enhanced um, 
what I've watched already and what I've already seen in it. And there's more there. I'm sure there's more in it. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. But it's so much darker than its reputation has it. Um, it's more sinister. And Willy Wonka is fantastic as played by Gene Wilder, mm-hmm. but he's also creepy AF. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Agreed on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Gene Wilder was the guy that you hired if you wanted to have somebody that's only just loosely holding it all together <laughs> and has some kind of exploding rage beneath simmering beneath the surface. And that is 100% on display in I, this film. I, I'm wet and I'm hysterical. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can be taken out of context. Yes. Uh, Couldn't it? We should sample that and that's how we should start this pod. Um, to look, whether you, if you agree with us, if you disagree with us, get in touch. Uh, we'd love to interact with you on this one because um, this is clearly one that's actually fueled our conversation for quite a while and we'll probably talk about it long after we finish recording tonight. Um, so you can chat to us on our social media channels. We're on Facebook as Cinepunked. We're also on Twitter. Uh, join us there and you will also find us on Instagram where we post nice pictures of films at Cinepunked Film. We got our website, cinepunk.com. We have got this podcast, which you've managed to find. Well done. Carry on listening to it. Subscribe. Tell your friends and family. And if they don't like it, just sign up for it anyway. Um, we will join you again in your ears very, very soon. Until the next time. Cheerio. Goodbye. Adios. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination.